translates to good evening, how are you, and Pima. Welcome to Love Food, Hate Money, podcast where we talk about how much we love food um, and how we'll throw all of our money at it. Um, I'm going to be host Jonah, going to be co-host Courtney. Hey! And the reason I'm talking in Pima is we've got a special guest in the house this evening, um, Chef Drew Anderson uh, from Kai Restaurant over in Chandler. Pleasure. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, good. Hot as fuck, but yeah, it's... <laughs> it's a little toasty out there today. It's it's warm here in the desert. Yeah, I ran out. So I ran outside today because I forgot my, my flip flops in the car. Like, oh yeah, like it's easy. Like starting darting like down my driveway. I'm like barefoot. Nope. Yeah, barefoot. Nope. Feet are on fire. Oh my god. The fact that you have feet is a miracle. <laughs> I, you know, it really is. <laughs> he just looks down, just nubs. <laughs> oh, and that's very different than where you're from because in Minnesota, if you walk outside barefoot in June or July, I guess we're in July now. You'd be totally fine. Oh, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> yeah, easy. <laughs> or anything but normal here. Drinks. We got to talk about drinks. Um, what are we drinking? We're drinking uh, a little coffee bubbly combo because there's nothing more fun than espresso or an arcade smoke pot because we don't own a home espresso machine. We don't hate money that much. Um, drinking some cartel coffee. Um, let's see. What is it? It is a... From Colombia, it is a wash process, uh, light roast, and then there's all sorts of funny details on the farm and tasty notes and whatnot. But long story short, tasty mocha pot, and yeah. it goes good with sparkling water. For those of you that have the opportunity to make yourself actual espresso and drink sparkling water with espresso it, tonics, baby. espresso tonics, baby. Espresso tonics. I had one of those for the first time like two months ago. Yeah, some lemon. Changed my fucking world. Oh my goodness. They're so good. They're so good. And espresso lemonades are also pretty good if you ever go to a spot and that Mm -hmm. does them. Or if they have lemonade and espresso, just buy them separate because there's a lot of people that will like lift their nose at that concept. But it's pretty tasty, especially if you can get some sparkling water too. Sparkling lemonades. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what we're drinking. You've got got a couple beers over there. You can. Because you're on a caffeine break where you're going to save your little hummingbird of a heart. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you drinking? Uh, Harlan Brewing the Rumbler. It's a double hopped dry uh, hopped pale ale, uh-huh. which is my favorite brewery of San Diego. Yep, uh, Harlan easily might be my favorite brewery. Right it's now. like hard stop right now because they don't make really gimmicky beers, but they all the beers that they make are like really good, true to style. If we ever go to Minnesota together, there's a brewery called Dangerous Man that kind of was the brewery to be in Minnesota, like, they do, like, a cool, like, experimental like, beers. They don't do wholesale. They, Aww. like... Unfortunate. But, like, their tap room is always packed. Nice. Like, you can't fucking get in. And then I'm drinking the Seven Years Goldwater Brewing, the Seven Seas, as a celebration of being over seven years, I guess. I've been here for three, so... <laughs> you're like, know, I don't what, know nothing about what's this. What's four more years? What's <laughs> four more years? It's that beer. That's yeah. what you get. If you're here four more years, you also get a beer. Yeah, get an award. It's a double West Coast IPA, which is it's pretty good. It's kind of heavy for how hot it is outside at 115 degrees in the ninth circle of hell. Yep. That Welcome. is the state. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is hugely different. So you spent the last, or your first 10 years in the industry... Back mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Yeah. So what was that like? It was cool. It was it was much different. So I grew up in a, a very agricultural, heavy uh, era of my life, along with the boom of culinary. Yeah. I set goals to become the best chef I could be and work with the best I could, and which I did. Yeah. But, you know, being young and young and dumb, <laughs> I, I spent years and years just working a ton which got me to where I am today which is worth it for me but you know the the sacrifice that went along with it was it was huge yeah Mm -hmm. and you uh you started young like we did and you started at Arby's I did that was my uh my first job still has the meats (laughs) I got sorry for you guys one after the had to slow segment uh but uh yeah so I was 16 um, got my first job was Mile Mile Road at Arby's, uh, which was my first introduction to like not only the working force of America, but 
to, you know, the food industry in general and hospitality industry. And I grew up in a very hospi- hospitable Ford household. Yeah. Uh, my household was always, like, where all the kids came. Like, we always did dinners there. Like, we barbecued, we grilled. Like, it was very much, t- like, geared toward family. Yeah. Um, which transitioned well for me. Right. It's kind of the natural next step is... How do I do this and get paid for it? Exactly. Or or not. I mean, <laughs> you get paid. There's, there's been some chunks, I'm sure, where there was not well, so yeah. much money involved. Uh, but yeah, so like, you know, I I worked there and I, I kind of fell in love with the with the the rush of service, the pace, and also swore off the food industry. <laughs> How'd that go for you? Uh, you know, not too well because I'm still here. That's the first step of coming into the industry is swearing off of it. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, it just kind right. of festers. I think that's how you know that you're never going to be fulfilled in anything else is if you can't stop coming back to it. Yeah, which is true. It's, 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 it's an addiction. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, but so, yeah, I worked there from, like, when I was, like, 16 to 18. You know, just, like, my hustle years. And being a chef or going to the, the culinary industry was never a, never a mark for me. I never mm-hmm. wanted to be this. Uh <laughs> My, I don't know why I am this way. <laughs> my uh, my first goal was to be a MLS soccer player. That did not work. Uh, <laughs> my second goal was to be an artist or an art teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third was to be a, a music producer. Uh, all very creative. Yeah. Uh, except with the exception of soccer being more of an athletic thing. So I think it's kind of funny you found that middle ground. Well, it's, it's kind of weird, like, how I look at it now is, like, you know, it's, I'm so competition geared, mm-hmm. but then also have, like, the, the art background. So it kind of makes sense to end up in kitchens. Yeah. In All a way. competitions, and then especially at the fine dining level specifically, like, your plate-ups and everything like that is just a way to do art. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I worked for 10 years in cutthroat kitchens. You fought every day for your job. Yep. Which is wild to think about, like, <laughs> like this day and age, like it's it's wild that you know, I I will I'll be working pasta or poisson and look at my meat cook and say, yo, I'm coming for your job, <laughs> like watch out. Yeah. And then you know the meat cook will look at the the, the soup like, hey chef, I'm coming for your job. And that's how I, how I grew up for years. So like, I want your job. Yeah. What's so you, you better be better than me at all <laughs> points in time because I'm coming for it. I think it's a funny thing that that could still exist now. It just has to like be spun slightly different or it's like, no, like end of the day, like everyone's growth should be the goal. Like if you're a head chef, like you should be like to helping get- to foster everyone's like, yeah, you can get to the next job and then you can get to the next job and then either you open up another restaurant and they can take over or you send them off on their way. Like there, I feel like there should still be, it's funny how it can be the same now, but it has to come from a place of like, Oh no, we're all growing together. Cause uh, I feel like the, the, there's enough of that like negative that could be like, Oh no, I'm going to, to the, the, the cutthroat side yeah. of that. I think is like the scary part where like you get lots of funny, funny, dark indus- <laughs> industry burnout. I laugh at it as a coping mechanism. Um, but the dark side of the industry, like, no, like, there is, like, some merit to, like, no, we're all here to make each other better. Yeah, I mean, and, like, that's, like, kind of, like, what it ended up being was, like, keep you in check, right? Like, you, like, if you put bullshit or if you prep bullshit, like, I'm going to call you out. So is Garmache and so is the call me because the call me wants Garmache's job. The Garmache <laughs> wants your job. And if you do, if you slack off, like, it's, it's not okay. Like, but that that's, like, that's what kept you on your game like, it built those kind of habits mm-hmm. for years and years and end of like it's just natural now yeah i mean i i run my kitchen the same way you know i i i don't run daycare um <laughs> what it's crazy isn't it why are there so many babies then <laughs> uh, but you know i i hold my my my, my cooks accountable i expect my cooks to hold each other accountable mm-hmm if they see it's wrong, like you call them out in, in respectful ways, like, hey, like, that's wrong. Try again. Let's fix this. Yeah. And like you grow, you become better. Yeah. Totally. So you worked at Arby's. Yep. You go to culinary school. 
Yep, against my father's will. <laughs> what, as one is to do. Easily, yeah. <laughs> and then you, because we know it you also makes you sound like a Disney princess. Oh yeah. Which I appreciate. Well, they were. It was either that or get locked in a tower. You know, those are the choices. He got locked in a tower against well, his father's will. That was a, <laughs> so that's the I third mean, chapter. My, my boys are prison guards, so what's <laughs> got that kind of? <laughs> so, because we know you personally, it's easier to kind of piece together your story. So you did culinary school. The last three months were an externship. Yep. And that's really kind of what launched you into more of the fine dining. Yeah. So. For, for culinary school, you know, I did student council. I competed through ACF, hot side. Mm-hmm. A throwback to uh, ACF. Throwback to ACF. We'll do a whole episode on ACF. Yeah. American fun Culinary one. Federation, for those of you that don't. Aren't a nerd. That aren't nerds. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I my my last few months of my schooling was connectionship. I went to a small fine dining French restaurant. I worked for a chef who was old school Chicago. Um. I walked in, did my stage. Uh, he said, yeah, cool. Like, you know, you good night skills. Like, thank you. Great. <laughs> um, he said, yeah, uh, do you want to start tomorrow? I said, cool. What did he have you do for knife skills? So was it actual prep or did he have like spare root vegetables that he was like, take this fuck off? It was it was both. Nice. Um, it's funny to hear about like. The stage process. Yeah, the stage process because there's a lot of similarities but i think the variance where it's like what do you actually want to see as the owner of a restaurant from someone I feel like yeah. the, the most well-known one is like <laughs> cook an egg i i think it like it also varies on your your skill level essentially like your your resume yeah. your background so me being fresh all the culinary school he's like yeah just cut some vegetables <laughs> i said cool so i'm like yeah like i'll, I'll look come on I'm super stoked. Like, I've, I'm trained, like, classic French. Like, I, I can't wait. And he's like, yeah, so since this is your internship, I'm not going to pay you. I will pay you knowledge, and that's what you can get. You're technically still in school. So why do I waste my labor on you? I'm like, okay, cool. Classic. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like 19. I'm like, sure. Like, I love being a slave. <laughs> Give me the door. So I ended up working there for three years. Went from basically a Comey, which is a prep cook, mm-hmm. to a Sioux. And then I'm at that point I'm 21, just about 22. Yeah, that's young. You're yep. a baby. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I need like 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 see like the culinary scene in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So I worked maybe three jobs, four jobs in less than a year and a half. And by that, like it's not me like, me like applying. It's me getting phone calls. Yeah. From different chefs, like, hey, like I heard you work for like Seth Johnson. You know, he said you're really good. Like, come over here for, like, blue season. Like, help me out. Like, cool. Hey, I heard you work for Adam Bartos. Like, come over here and work. Hey, I work with you as a sous chef at Pazaluna. I'm with a restaurant. Like, you want to come be my sous here? Like, open one up. I'm like, sure, great. <laughs> you're like, all right, whatever you need, guys. Yep. It's a funny tight window to have all those, like, calls, too. Like, especially with Arizona as a local point. Like, you get a new restaurant every eight months. Right. It's not a whole sure. bunch of actual people that are like, hey, like, yeah, come, I mean, here, come here, come here. It, like, the Minneapolis food scene to me is, is a much older food scene than Arizona is. Well, um, <laughs> all, everything's older than Arizona. <laughs> We're a baby state. Fair enough. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy, you know, being 21, 22, 23, 24, like, just getting phone calls from, like, all these people who are really high up in the industry who somehow got my phone number. <laughs> Like, I'm some shithead line cook, right? Like, yeah. just bust my ass, like, trying to, like... It was all from the same restroom stall, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Chef for hire. Yeah, please please call this number. <laughs> but, no, it was crazy to me. And, you know, I I saw a lot, which benefited me huge. It's crazy. Like, so, for me, like, a little small tangent about hiring for me, mm. right? Like, I look for, like, longevity. But I'm the worst, like the last person to say longevity. I've worked in the industry for 12 years. I've worked in 12 to 13 different restaurants. Sure. There's a certain point of that hopping around in the industry that's, you get about a year into a restaurant. Like you have to go through a full season with it to get a full experience out of it. So you, at least in my Mm-hmm. My smaller sphere, because I have not worked in quite that many places, but I feel like it's interesting to like go through an entire restaurant cycle 
and then reset. I feel like there's something fun about the camaraderie after that first set, but I think that within that first full cycle, you can really get a lot, the, the bell curve of knowledge that you're going to get off of it, like drops off where it's like, okay, now we're sustaining. Yeah. And it's I, less I think new. the industry as a whole is like, you work a different place to gain different skills. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I worked for some of the worst shots and the best shots of my life. Adam Bartos, he runs Capitol Grill in Minneapolis. He's the best manager I've ever worked for in my life. I worked for him for three months. <laughs> <laughs> but you learned what you so needed much. to learn from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I said like, hey, I'm leaving to be, be, be an opening suit at a restaurant. He's like, congratulations. Like, thank you so much for like coming on board. And we're still friends to this day. Yeah, that's really cool. Like his, his mantra style, like it, it readjusted mine. Because mm. I came from... You know, the old school man style of, like, throwing things, yelling, screaming. You know, like, why the fuck are you here? Like, there's a back door. If you want to leave, fucking leave. Like, that kind of stuff. And yeah. he, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't that. And to me, like, that was, like, eye-opening. Like, oh, I, you can be successful in this and not just treat not everyone like shit? That's cool. Yeah. Like, I, I went there in December at the St. Paul Hotel. We're doing three hundred covers a night. I'm working Saute 1 and 2. It's a blind line, right? So I'm just getting calls. Oh, my God. And I'm just ripping 12 burners. I think I, I, think, I think I have like eight or, ten dish, uh, eight or ten different dishes at the time. I'm just fucking ripping. I heard 80 initially. And I was like, <laughs> no, like I you're, you're lying. I grew two arms. <laughs> <laughs> if I could roll a third arm, it'd be great. But uh, no, I mean, it, it, like, I just like put my head down and worked and for him to come in and like say like hey like how you doing today like appreciate you guys like that kind of stuff like it was eye-opening for me just gave you that kind of like oh shit like these are real people yeah people like like someone actually cares about me yeah which like you don't really receive for much of the industry that we're in it's it's funny because it's an industry about hospitality and serving people but i think front of house gets to reap the rewards where back of house is the one that's doing Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. A lot of the work, and it's very little thanks. Yeah. Come back to the kitchen. Other than like the random restaurant here, or there it's like buy the kitchen around. It's like for three bucks. You're like, this is a really that's. <laughs> you're like, I don't think they need help drinking more. But thanks okay. for helping facilitate their alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> like that's sad. So who would you say in Minnesota like really influenced your career the most? Like. Who do you still really carry? So my idol, I, I think idol is a strong word. Sure. Um, someone who I, I was on like like work for was Gavin Kaysen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he opened up Spoon's Table in 2014. Uh, this is again like in the main, like the like prime boom of like the culinary scene. In uh, it was a goal. Like I stashed there and didn't get a job. What did you have to do for that stage? Um, I worked, <laughs> what were you bad at? You know, I worked 14 hours a day. Oh, so you were burnt. Well, I mean, I started in the morning. I picked oxtails. Um, I laminated dough by hand. Well, that's a waste of time, but a fun thing to do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> then I went and got ready to do family meal, which I helped with. Then go on to do prep and work garbage at night. And I started at 7 in the morning and got done at 11 or 12 at night. A long day. Yep. So, so you did all that, and then he was like, thanks for the oxtail. I'll see you later. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like, yeah, it was, he was full staffed. So I understand, like, why. But, like, for me, sure. it was kind of like an eye experience of, like, this is, like, what food is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back. I ended up working for a chef who got third dinner 30 he was a tyrant uh there's a certain character type young hothead yeah exactly i mean i was the same like i ran a restaurant when i was 24 years old yeah um you know i was very driven but didn't compose compose myself in the right way sure um which at 24 like who expects you to do that? You know what <laughs> I mean? 24 is still very young. I was, I was running a fine restaurant at 24. Like, I was like... Yeah. That's a lot this, of pressure. This is what I want. Like, I... Yeah, I think I... I worked seven days a week for a year straight. Oh, man. The burnout on that alone is... I You were... What's the most days that I've worked in a row? 
I think 20, yeah. 21. And by the end of it, like even just simple tasks of like, all right, bust this table. I was like, I don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have brain. But yeah, I was, I was, I was doing that. I was, I was working online for three days a week. Expo, doing butchery, doing ordering, like R&D, like all kinds of shit. And I got divorced subsequently from that. But, uh, you know, so I go to this new restaurant and work for the chef. And being recently divorced, I kept running to my wife in Minneapolis. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like, I'm going to fucking leave. <laughs> like, I got to get out of this yep. scene. It's too small. Specific, so, well, I mean, and for the, just enough context for everyone else, like, wife was also in the industry. Yeah. And if you are in any food city, everyone knows everyone that, like, period. Yeah. Whether it's here, it sounds like Minneapolis, like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tight small. fucking circle. I mean, like, we, like, all the industry, like, frequent the same bars. Yeah. Same industry bars. Yep. Hanging out. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I ended up buying a plane ticket to Alaska. And within two weeks, I got hired at a four-star Fort Diamond resort. Which is good foreshadowing. Yep. <laughs> so I worked at a restaurant called The Seven Glaciers. That was um, gorgeous. We took a tram with Mountain every day. It was called Seven Glaciers because the dining room was all windows. You could see seven individual glaciers <sighs> from the dining room. So I worked there for a season. And when I was in Alaska, I got a phone call from my previous chef, who's a tyrant. And he's like, hey, so we're going to open a restaurant. Um, I'm going to be the chef of a Gavin Kaysen concept. Mm. It's called Belcour, which is his, you know, ode to Danny Ballou, which he worked for 10 years and earned Michelin stars and kind of like held his reins. Mm-hmm. I said, "I yes, I'll be on plane tomorrow. <laughs> so I got back home. We opened up the restaurant. Like, we're we're the restaurant that is number seven in the country, like, to be to, 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 to open this year. The pressure is unbelievable. You know, I'm, I'm cooking for New York Times. I'm cooking for Grant Atkins, uh, Dominique Crenn. I'm cooking for all these people who are Sean Brock, Jeremy mm-hmm. Fox. It's fucking unbelievable. And I sit there, and I'm, I'm working, working, working. You know, I'm the only Poisson cook, the fish cook. I'm working six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. I'm like, cool. Just a little bit of working. Just a little bit. <laughs> and then we go for brunch. And these ex Sue's like, yeah, like, I want Drew. I'm like, okay, cool. So I sit there, I'm like, so what's it mean for me? He's like, well, you're not going to work two doubles on Friday, Saturdays. So I'm pulling six days a week. And I'm working two doubles on Friday, Saturday. So Friday, Saturday, I'm working three hours. And you know, I I get I get to the point where I'm. You were hourly at this point. Yeah. Were I, they at least paying you correctly hourly? I'm making so much money that I'm getting taxed in the a, a different, a different tax bracket. Tax bracket. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Well, that's. And you and well, you also have no time cool. to spend that money. Exactly. You're working so much, you can kind of just pile up and be like, "I'll deal with this later." Yep. You know, like I saw my my girlfriend for half a day a week. Mm-hmm. At this point, like. Because my body crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get actually tired. And you're like, well, I'm going to go to bed now. Yeah, I mean, and th- like, this is like, I'm so young. So I'm pushing. I, you know, I'm, I'm at the bar till 2 a.m. with all my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Wake up and go back to work. It's, it's, it's a, just a, a not healthy cycle. So at his point, probably around like 9 or 10 months. You know, I, I get drug along. And come up, like, oh, yeah, like, you'll be a sue, you'll be a sue, you'll be a sue. Like, yeah, they, they, keep, they keep fucking me over. And it... Gotta have it's, that carrot stick out it's there. It's not Gavin. It's it's my my, my chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're sitting back. We're double shocking Pablo's, and it's me, Gavin, my chef. And you know, my chef makes some smart ass fucking comments to me. He's like, "Yeah, I say, yeah. Can you imagine being back in Alaska right now? I'm like, I'm looking at a fucking plane right now and leave. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, you like, know what? Like it's you all I'm imagining actually yeah. for the last time. And, you know, I have. The chef who owns these multiple restaurants, who's a James Beard, rising star, Michelin star chef, just like look at me. The next day, he sits me down and says, like, "Hey, like I need you to spoon table." You're like done. Yeah, I'm like, great. Like, th- like this is like my goal. I get to go back home. So it's December at Spoon. Like we're three and covers a night. We're fine dining. We are pushing the Midwestern cuisine every day. We're redefining it. 
and I have imposter station. I've never worked a single shit imposter station. I have no <laughs> fucking deal what's going on. Uh, you know, we're doing fresh shaped truffles. We're making like uni butters. We're doing just like caribou blancs. Delicious. Uh, I thought about my life many times in <laughs> about the first two months at a restaurant. You know, my chef was me. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, it takes three months for any cook to like be comfortable in this restaurant mm-hmm. to even like walk in the door and feel okay, which is it, it's so true, you know. Um, I, like, I like the imagery because it's the specific style of like filmmaking where like it, the film goes to a screeching halt and it's just a still image of you and everything goes great. And it's like, hi, that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> and just, there is so much pasta in front of me and I don't even know when the last time I slept was. Let's rewind. Let's. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it was crazy, you know. Uh, but I got there and I'm cooking on a different level. I'm cooking for, you know, people who know who food is. There, at one point, I remember being on a line for a position, and we ran out of tarragon. And it was like a tarragon, parsley, and chive melty that like we went up off to. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my Sue. I'm like, hey, like we're out of tarragon. Like, he's like, cool. It's like just these parsley and chives. So I have my exec chef come down, like, I'm in this shit at this point. Like, I'm fucking just ripping. Like, and pasta is also blind line oh, in, the, no. in the restaurant. And we do apps and entrees full on half sizes. So he goes and he looks and he throws in my parsley chai mixture to garnish and to finish the pasta. He tastes it. He's like, what the fuck is this? I go, what do you mean? He's like, where's the tarragon? I'm like, chef, like, we're out. <laughs> we just talked um, about this, remember? You know, my Sue told me that it's okay. He's like, you are serving a room full of three Michelin star chefs. They can taste the fucking difference. He's like, if you're out, you come to me. <laughs> you're like, like, okay. <laughs> and this is like, like, like month two of me being yeah, there. You're like shitting yourself. Like, like oh, oh yeah. God, no. Why? Like, okay, well, I guess I'll just walk out the door. <laughs> not show, I'll just not walk out. Yeah. out. <laughs> it, it took me about six months to get, like, good on my station and to receive, like, the first compliment from my chef. Say, like, hey, like, good job tonight. Mm-hmm. I go, thank you so much. It's like, yeah, this is called build me up. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is the one tomorrow you get. I'm going to tear you down. Thanks so much. Thank you. But, you know, it's, again, like, he's the chef who, like, I go back to Minneapolis and say hi. He's like, so when are you coming back? <laughs> like, I have a job for you. Like, uh, so, mm-hmm. I was like, cool, but thank you, but like, at, at some point, it will eventually. Sure. But uh, that kind of, like, really defined my roots in fine dining in the level that we executed at. Like, we're doing dry aging. We're making misos. We're making guans. We're making fresh pasta and health every day. And, and we're not doing 30 covers. Yeah. We're doing 300 covers a night. How many people are on that staff? Um, So we had an AM, a PM sous chef a cbc an exec and then gavin was the chef owner mm-hmm. right. five uh we had a pastry chef a pastry sous six seven we had two pastry cooks to work the line we had two pastry cooks to work the mornings it's crazy to think of that many people involved in the pastry program pastry. yep mm-hmm. and then you run to comies we had three to four comies uh, we had three garmache. We had two entremet. <laughs> That's a lot of salad. Two pasta, two fish, two meat. Wow. And we were open for seven days a week and ran brunch on Sundays. It sounds like a big team, but not with that many hours. Yeah. When you have that many hours, like, that's tight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yep. a lot of people. If you're running a restaurant five days a week, if you're running it seven days a week, like, oof. <laughs> oh, and, and then we had a guy who did all of our pasta and then ferments. Okay. He's a special projects guy. Yep. Yeah, like charcuterie, like all dry aging, like all that kind of stuff. What was his... Was there a funny name for his role? Because the caveman. <laughs> he just hangs out in the cave and does things with... The meats. Weird temperature items. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some, like... 
He, he made some weird shit, but it was so fucking cool. That, honestly, of all the jobs in that restaurant, that one sounds like the most fun to me. Yep. Uh, when Noma came out with his, with his fermentation book in 2019, we got it, like, a year before. Oh, cool. So, like, we're doing, like, like, like weird shit. Like, this is how, like, I learned how to make miso from the restaurant, which I brought to Kai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, guarms, like, uh, shoyus, like, that kind of stuff. Like, it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah. It's different. And I think that also kind of really leads into the range that you can bring to Kai because you have this unique challenge of taking local native ingredients and then also converting that into something that works for your menu that also really relies on your background. So you have to kind of make a marriage of those two things. Yeah, it was, it's been a wild ride for me down in Arizona. It's been very hard because mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm not used to the, the food scene down here. I'm not used to, like, the agriculture. I'm not used to cactuses. <laughs> it's a wild to me still. Um, the heat. Nopales, the prickly pear. Yeah, it, it's, it's the, I mean, and then the, the, the influence from Mexico, like, the chilies, the peppers, like, that kind of stuff. Like, we don't, it, it's not a thing for us in the West. It's all about grains. Sure. It's all about, like, stews, sausages, um, pastas like that kind of like like forte like it's hearty right it fits the weather it, exactly and here it's we have dried things because it's just dry here so we'll take <laughs> it and we'll dry it and we'll try to rehydrate it later on maybe we won't yeah totally so with kai then like as far as ingredient inflammation but implementation that's the word inflammation is a separate <laughs> thing that we don't want no <laughs> what has been kind of the most inspiring ingredients that you're really latched on to that you're really focusing on with next season of kai oh uh, next season um you know it's kind of like a, a combination of of three things for me um chilies being predominant mm. uh dry chili especially um so what we got yeah we got that in spades yeah uh also kind of like mesquite uh mesquite beans mesquite trees very cool uh different like beans like pulverry beans um kind of like elephant elephant tree wood mm-hmm. just cool things that aren't utilized a lot yeah here. um and then of course really bear <laughs> which is a really fun ingredient that I mean outside of Arizona I'm not sure how often I, it's used if at all <laughs> zero as far as I'm aware of because sure. I didn't hear about it at all before I came down here that's so weird to think of because out here it's it's such a staple that you go to any Joe Schmo Tex-Mex restaurant they're like here's a prickly pear margarita, margarita. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and I think with that also comes like you're getting to play with these new how pa- or New flavors, new textures, and trying to integrate that into your background, which I know you're heavily influenced by Asian cuisine. Yeah. So that's kind of a fun marriage of like, can I make a tepary bean miso? Like, what else are you kind of working on right now to use those native ingredients in new ways? Yeah, it's cool, actually. It's right now, I just started uh, a wolfberry miso. Red corn miso from Mona like Farms. Wolfberries are something that people even here don't know nearly as much. Like, you say prickly pear to anyone out here, they know what it is. Wolfberries yeah. are not an ingredient that most people are familiar with. That's fair. The, the good, old, good old foraging tidbits. Where do you go out to get them? Um, I don't forge for them necessarily, like right now. Okay. But, uh, I mean, it's there's a season for it, so. It is, and I'm still learning, like, the seasons here for foraging. Yeah. Um, I forage for a lot of things here, but kind of like, I use a guidebook right now because I don't yeah. have a local forager. Like, back in Minneapolis, um, I forage for mushrooms, ramps, sumac. Like, I knew places, like, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Like, I had friends. Like, we all went out. It's interesting that sumac is just out in the woods of Minnesota. I mean, you look at, like, uh, the uh, native culture up in, up in, up there in the Midwest, like wild rice, sumac, yeah. like cattails. Mm-hmm. Like, Sumac's just not used that often. In it's underutilized, for sure. Any Arizona cuisine. I think it's hard to grow here. I don't Honestly, know if it does. <laughs> because for us, it was predominantly in the summer. Mm-hmm. But it was, 
kind of like 90 degrees, but high humidity. We're here, it's just like fucking 115. <laughs> it's just gross. 115 dry to the bone. Mm-hmm. Where we get our chiles from. <laughs> that's why I think that's a interesting, the global use of preservation techniques. Like, obviously, Metro Phoenix doesn't exist in, without the boom of air conditioning and refrigeration and all that. But, like, if you're looking historically, like, a lot of the native ingredients are used in a dried preparation because, I mean, there was no worry of there being too much moisture in a product to, they're going to grow bacteria that way it was a how do we get this as dry as possible so that way we can preserve this and we can rehydrate it as needed it's interesting that that was i think it's fun to look at how the ingredients are there's they're all preservation methods but like how how are you using your environment to preserve this ingredient yeah i mean for me it's like choya buds are a huge thing for us in the menu Choya buds are pretty cool but, like, I went out and harvested choy buds once with a native because I was one. The, the, the only way you're allowed on the land is to be with a native. Someone who can guide you and yep. knows the area. Or else they'll pull you over and say, get the fuck out of here. Stop stealing from us. You're like, why are you here? Be like, well, I work at the resort. <laughs> and I was just, okay, bye. But, yeah, we uh, went out and, like, he explained the whole process to us. Like, you know, we, we'll dig a hole, we'll burn, and we'll dry them out, like, under the sun for three days. So I kind of do the same method in the restaurant. Sure. I blanch them for 20 minutes, take out the spikes, then dehydrate them at 115 degrees for three days. Wow. To and then I, I pickle them, so, like, rehydrate them. So when you're pickling them, are you just doing, like, a quick pickle on it, or are you... No, you're bringing no. up the acid and everything up, and then over it to rehydrate. It, yeah. Okay, and I don't believe in water and pickles. I think that's a cop out. Sure. If you're gonna if you eat pickle, like <laughs> it's what, gonna hurt you. What's the pickle? <laughs> uh, if you're gonna eat a pickle, let's have a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite album. I'm a huge fan of rice wine vinegar because it imparts sweetness. Sure. Um, yeah, of all the vinegars, yeah, it's probably one of the sweetest, other than like balsamic. But you get that weird like dark sweetness out of it yeah and for me it's it's very like kind of like cut and dry sweetness yeah um so like that's why i use a lot of like that vinegar in a restaurant uh i guess apple cider I also vinegar also yeah imparts some sweetness just because your mind perceptually is like hey, it's a fruit kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> What would you say going into this next season, which starts August 17th. 17th, which dish on the menu are you most excited about? Uh, it's kind of like just threefold. I've been working a lot recently yeah. on new dishes and concepts. Uh, I think the coolest thing I'm, I'm working on right now is uh, taking crow's dairy. I want to make our own cultivated uh, butter for our cheese course. Awesome. So it'll be a goat cheese that we make in-house. Interesting. A goat butter, essentially, sorry. Yeah. And Cultured we, butter. Yep, we make mm-hmm. a house um, through Wendell. So it's a super, like, micro-local yeah. uh, application of an old-world use. Very cool. Wendell is the ultimate character of all the people that I've met in Arizona. <laughs> He's crazy. He <laughs> exists in a separate plane. Just, yeah, just of existence. So like we he's, should do a goat episode with Wendell. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, we'd have to drive all the way out to... Worth it. The crazy little goat farm i like driving out to that farm because metro phoenix there's quite a bit of urban sprawl like even if you go out to some of the farms it's like oh it's like kind of close to the city still you go out there and you're like okay well i'm lost <laughs> it's dark there's no street lights cool so you've got your butter working yep and that's Me's part of working. bread bread course yeah yep Me's working uh start some guarms um which is basically a guarm is, you know, you take like bison essentially. Okay. So the prime example is a lean, not fatty meat. Mm-hmm. You knock it with koji, water, and salt. You cook it at 140 degrees for three weeks to six weeks. Cause I, I'm always about speeding up the process <laughs> and it's a condensed meat flavor sauce. Sure. But that application is also used to make fish sauces. Uh, you can do like fish guarms, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's really old school. It's, it's Roman. Okay. Um, but it's kind of like a lost art. 
sure. like much of like culture and much of what I represent at at Kai is, you know, where is is a dying culture. Mm-hmm. So to help like reinvent that and put on a pedestal that for me, like it's unique because like we're kind of like, a singular restaurant in the world that we have the ability being a five star five dining restaurant to celebrate a culture that doesn't get recognition on that level. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is crazy to think about. Uh, Sean Sherman won Best Restaurant uh, James Beard this year for Old Woman by the Sioux in Minneapolis, which was a block from where I used to work, <laughs> which is, is crazy to think that, like, you know, like, this, like, the, adult, the decolonization of the food for the Native culture is a huge thing, um, mm-hmm. especially being on the pedestal that, they, they, that is now. Yeah. To look at, like, you know, fried breads. Fried breads aren't a thing in the culture. Fried breads mm-hmm. are a substitute full of lard, sugar, milk to sustain them when we kill off all the bison. Yeah. Government rations and yep. all that crap. It's brutal. Yeah. It's interesting to see the, like, the, we could talk about that one for hours of the military rationing and the, the, those sorts of things. The colonization rationing is interesting to see how it permeates different facets of culture, like from fry bread to there's a Korean army stew that uses American cheese and spam. Like that's a, the amount of that influence in the world. And then like going back before that influence is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I think too, like for what's culturally, I, when I worked in Alaska, you know, the natives, like, it was a huge issue with abuse of substances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's, what do you do when you're in press culture? you abuse things to help you cope. Yeah. Uh, Nephi Craig, who's in the White Mountains, runs a, a restaurant called Cafe Gyoza, uh, which I'm probably, I'm sure I butchered, I'm sorry. But he, he does a lot of speaking, but his cafe is predominantly to help promote people who are recovering from substance abuse. Wow. And to promote native culture. Um, he works with like a lot of farmers. I had a pleasure meeting him uh, probably six months ago. Oh, awesome. Uh, it was crazy. It was, it, it's, it's refreshing to like, talk to someone who knows the culture, like, knows what this is about. Especially for me, like, you know, being from the, the Midwest, mm-hmm. I can cook decently well. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not pasta. the hard part. I can run a restaurant, but, you know, it's for me, it's, it's really about, like, do- like, like, diving into, like, what it is. Like, the culture, the, the actual substance of what you want to be mm-hmm. in the, like get down to it yeah just really honoring it yep. to honor it and to actually like focus in on it like okay what are we actually doing here as a restaurant are we just serving good food or are we preserving a culture i think that it's important to be able to have those conversations and focus on like okay what it, what are we doing here yeah and how does that relate for you like back to your staff in terms of like education and like pushing their careers forward as well while also you're still learning and growing it's it's kind of weird for me you know i never saw that being this place where like i'm being mentored but then i'm also a mentor mm-hmm. um which is huge you know we don't we don't ever gain progress by ourselves someone's always there who helps us um i'm very direct Um, you know it's it's quiet like there's 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 some music like people have their heads down we all cook i expect the best in perfection from every single person including myself you know it's it's a drive that i have that i expect everyone also to have and i hope i uphold them to the standards and in subsequent like they should uphold me um you know i I have a full shelf of cookbooks in my kitchen, which I allow my cooks, like, hey, like, if you want to, like, take it home, read, learn. Go learn. Go read about um, it. Don't even necessarily make it, but, like, read that it exists, because it's important to, like, get yeah. an idea, like, helps to make it, but also even knowing that something exists, and, like, oh, this is a method, having that it's just a frame of reference. internal Rolodex of, like, oh, yeah, this would be a cool thing to do, and I read about this one thing, so we can use that as the starting point and go from there. Well, it was like talking to you today before I came here. Like, you know, I sat at my favorite bar and I brought five cookbooks. Mm-hmm. My computer. You know, I got Hesse Blumenthal's The Fat Duck, Sean Brock's Brock, 
um, and Reza, uh, Resh Andreas, uh, and uh, what was the last one I had? It was probably the Heritage by Sean Brock, you know, and I just, I just read. Yeah. Because is is cool techniques that you learn how to do, but is how you adapt into what you use is what's special. Um, mm-hmm. You know, looking at restaurant Andreas, like Octagon, there's there's eight steps of creating a dish for him. Manresa, there's three steps. You know, it's how you look at these chefs who define themselves and how do you define yourself as a chef? Yeah. It was crazy to me. You know, I... <laughs> So, what's it called? The, the little uh, leatherback books? Uh, little uh, moleskin? Yep. Bible. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hands down. So, it is the live or die you have this? Yep. Because I work in kitchens where, like, you know, there wasn't tight recipes. Yeah. Like, like, we're, like we're in fine dining. Mm-hmm. And it's word of mouth. The cook next to you who's training you gives you his, like, moleskin for, like, 20 minutes so Copy you can, like, this shit like, down. Quickly jot it down. It's all chicken scratch. It's mm-hmm. bullshit. So I bought like a, a nice book when I was 20 years old. Um, I recently found it. And there's oh, cool. And there's actually journal entries on it. Most I, I dated my age, like 21. Captain's cool. Log. Today I, I got yelled at for this. <laughs> no, but you, you know what it was? It was, it was, it was kind of like that, but like, it was like, what what is food? How do I perceive it? How do I bring it to what I want to become mm-hmm. at 21 years old? Mm-hmm. 25. You know, okay, after running a restaurant, you know, my my views have changed. Uh, I think food should be more farm to table. I should have personal relationship with farmers. I should be able to, to check my staff by not through using terror or scare tactics. Right. I mm-hmm. should be able to develop them. And I, I actually recently wrote in it when I was, so when I was 29 before the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I entered a different echelon of restaurants. So I came from one class of restaurants and transferred to a different. It's nothing against one or the other, mm-hmm. but it's something I'm not, I'm not used to. Yeah. So I was very put off guard and angry of where I had come um, because it wasn't, I wasn't on a national scale. Mm-hmm. I wasn't being pushed very hard. I wasn't kind of, you know, pushing the edge. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I rolled it down, you know, I, my frustrations of where, I, where I came from, where I've come and I've, recently wrote down, you know, being the chef of Kai, taking this role is a, is a huge step for me. It's, it's, a, it's a huge thing. And for me, my point in my life is, you know, I'm 31. I have a fiance. So what does my next five years look like? Mm-hmm. I want to have a family. You know, I, I want to... All over the Midwest. Rearing <laughs> its, rearing its adorable through. face. <laughs> but, you know, it it's an actual thing, you know, when I'm 31, like, what does my life look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to, to start a family, to have a marriage, to have a house, and be viable. Mm-hmm. Be viable in this culture. Yeah. Um, and that's the last thing that I wrote. It's like, what does it take? What steps do you do I have to make to become that way? You know, and for me, it's, I still have goals that I want to achieve, you know, a beard. Um, you can a grow those pretty good. Um, no, I know I can. <laughs> but, uh, you know, move, move somewhere, get a star. But at what point do I say, I've accomplished and now it's time for like, my life? Because like, I sacrificed so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't go to my, my brother's wedding. Um, I missed many birthdays, celebrations, all because I work a shift. Yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things about industry as a whole is the amount of uh, sacrifice that there is. And like, I think that the industry, I think the pandemic especially was tragic, but it did a great job of giving people time to reflect on, Oh, what, what's actually important. important. Like, yeah, yeah, have those goals, but maybe don't sacrifice 
all your family and friends on like the back of those goals. And I think that's an interesting thing that everyone's had the opportunity to reflect on and like figure out a way to try and strike a balance. I think that's kind of like, like why, why our culture industry is dying away. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you work so hard and your blinders are on for the whole time, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're busting your ass. Like you, you have no idea like what it is to like live normally to like take care of yourself, be healthy. And the pandemic forced you to. Like here's a vacation and everyone was like, oh, like, what oh the I fuck? don't know how but, to do this. But like alone, like the pay. Yeah. Pay's a huge thing. Like health insurance. I, so in 10 years, right? I've never had health insurance. Dental? Life on the edge. I mean, I I couldn't afford it. Yeah. I didn't make over $30,000 a year for my whole entire adult life. Which is just crazy because you're working in these high caliber restaurants. You're serving celebrities. You're serving famous chefs. But the reality of it is, is you don't have much to show for it as far as finances. No, but like for for me, it's like it's my passion, my drive. Right. Right. So I... I will sacrifice the money to drive myself to be like where I am. It's like I became, I started as Kai as a line cook and became the chef in less than a year. Yeah. And there's a huge reason why. Uh, but money for me has never been a thing, but my body reflects it. For sure. Um, you know, I remember one time I went, I got so fucking sick. I was in Minneapolis and I couldn't get the couch for three days. Mm. I like my old man drove me to the doctor because I couldn't drive. I got the flu so bad, like I like couldn't move. I was so broke I couldn't pay my uh, medical bills. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, it's wild. Like it's wild to think, but like it's it's not that wild. No, it's that's reality pretty, for pretty a lot of common, people. which is real sad, and it's something that I am excited that the industry. I'm hoping that the industry will continue to move towards wellness. The, not even the industry, like this industry specifically, because it's my passion. It's your passion. It's, I mean, it's what we're here for. But mm-hmm. there's so many people that they value it so much until they actually have to show the financial aspect of value. Or it's like, oh, man, I really love this, you know, this level of dining. It costs me X amount of money to pay for it. Well, I'll, I'll pay for it. But you see these people that are working and they're like, OK, well, like. If it was only X amount more, I could at least have health insurance. Right. But guests wouldn't be willing to pay that X amount more so that way they could actually take care of the people. So it's really, I hope to see the the world continue to move toward taking care of. You know, my, uh, my, mo- my mom and dad came in on here for Bear Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, this is before Michelle mm-hmm. Kai. And I got pretty fucking shit canned one day. <laughs> uh, my mom's driving home and we're talking like I broke down in tears and she's like why i'm like i have four hundred dollars my name and that's before like i pay rent in three days mm-hmm. now i'm negative and she called me like a week later she's like i never knew how bad your money was like it's been for years yeah mm-hmm. like why think like i don't, I don't do things i can't afford to um, what do you want to do? We're gonna stay in and play chess. I, I mean, yeah, like I just, I would buy membership to like a rock on gym for a year, and I'll go there six days a week. And this because, is the hobby that I paid for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it buys time. Like it, it's pretty I mean, healthy and fun too. Like it's fun if you can do it. I've got my chunky ass and my little fingers. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but like for me, it's like not like going out and like experiencing like different restaurants and different yeah. foods and seeing techniques yeah. and that kind of stuff. It's like you can't afford to do it, which is 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 wild. This is a part of the industry that is so, I think, not toxic, but so it's behind dark. the times. It's. You know, when we, in the pandemic, there was a restaurant in Ottawa and the government tried to supplement them to be open seven days a week. And he's like, I can't pay my staff. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to do it. Um, yep. Which good. I, I appreciate anyone with the awareness of like, no, I literally can't do that to people like that. 
like it's nice that you would like us to be open this much, but that that's not making enough money to sustain people's lives. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me too, like it comes like back around to like like composting. I'm huge for compost. We used to have this this local farmer in, in, in Minneapolis come up and pick up our compost every week because he would put it back in the soil. Like he would feed his pigs. Like he would do like all this stuff. Like you're giving back. Mm-hmm. Where most restaurants don't do that. Sure. Yeah. Which is a huge like red flag for me. Like I won't work there if, if they don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like I'm that like petty. Yeah. Well, it's like the whole cycle of the thing is like if restaurants are doing well, it's because farms are doing well and yep. it's that cycle. And then if it's if the guest is doing well, then the staff should be being paid and like kind of the ecosystem almost of yeah. the industry. Yeah. Which I mean is I'm happy it's bringing like into light now. Yeah. Of what it is. Because like, you know, I mean, Sean Brock, Meg Nielsen are all prom- like promoting health and pay and it. I mean, which Sean Brock has had his God, he's had the shit slew down of, of fucking mental issues and pain and abuse. And, uh-huh. you know, it, it's so weird to me that it takes someone who's such high caliber, but not really, um, to ad- address these issues that we have all suffered from. Yeah. I'm not just, I am no, I am no different. <laughs> right. In these ways, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but all, all the name for, for something to put on the plate. Love food. <laughs> <laughs> Have no money. Have no money. It's, yeah. it's um, yeah, it is. The wild, the industry as a whole. That it, it, like you said, it's not that part necessarily isn't the toxic part. I think it's the systems in place that like keep it in in line. Mm-hmm. Is sad. Or even it's like the lack of awareness. You know. There is some, there's definitely like mismanagement with the restaurant industry on the, on the business side of things. But like if a restaurant raises a dish by a dollar, like the fucking robles up, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, honestly, like, yeah, I, I worked restaurants for like, you know, like not Kai, but like other restaurants, like we're, we done, we done, done, done taste menus mm-hmm. and we raise it $20 and it's still a fucking steal. Yeah, and, and people are, and the people get so upset. Twenty dollars, like twenty more dollars. Like this is so expensive for like the the, the portion getting. I'm like, you like ten courses. <laughs> your your protein courses are two ounces a piece. Yeah, like I, my purveyors have raised prices. I have no choice, and like that's like the like conception. Like people like don't understand. Like, yo, if I raise my my menu. It's because I'm being charged more for products. Like, you can come and look at my bank account. I don't have a yacht somewhere where I'm hiding all these funds. It's like, yeah, it's like you know, a whole pheasant doesn't stay six fifty a pound forever. <laughs> yeah, just indefinitely, it's locked in. That's yeah. it. You're like, you'll notice how your gas prices went up. Yeah, that's it's, everything works that way. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so we're running out of time, but to leave us, um, I would be curious to know what advice you would give to people who are kind of just starting out their careers. Because I think now that you've got, you've had so many different experiences and like you've gotten to where you are in your career, like looking back on it, like what is the one thing you wish you would have known? Uh, for me, ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um... My biggest advice is, you know, don't be afraid. Like, put your head down. Um, if a restaurant, if if you want to go learn more in, like, you know, like, gastronomy, fine dining, or vice versa, whatever it is, knock on doors. And if they re- reject you once, twice, five, ten times, still fucking knock. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because... You're doing, you're doing a different to yourself of saying, okay, I guess they want me to be complacent. No, fuck that. <laughs> Make the them want you. Every day, like, hey, like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And eventually, like, the chef will get so fucking annoyed with you. He'll say, <laughs> okay, fine. I will hire you. But, like, just not only that, like, for me, it's like I spend 
12 hours a day in the kitchen doing like whatever I do, right? I spend probably about three hours a day outside of that and probably about five hours a day on my days off just reading, eating out, learning, developing myself personally because that will get you more in life than anything else. Mm -hmm. Put your time into yourself because you deserve it. And then don't let people shit on you. That's awesome. It's great advice. Unless you want people to shit on you. You pay for that. You pay for that. You pay. All right. Well, and on that note, um, now that we've shit all over the. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, man. I think that wraps it up. I think that the last table is gotten their, their final course. Give them. The old hi Kai bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Love Food Hate Money. This episode and every episode is edited by John Watkins of Feathered Fiction Studios. He also does our original music. So if you need some sounds, hit him up. Uh, Check us out on social media. We're on all the major ones. And uh, MySpace baby. Send us your hate mail. Jonah really, really wants hate mail for God knows why. And send us your industry stories so we can uh, put together a episode of just stories from what you've experienced. Every part of the industry. If you work at a Circle K especially, (laughs) I need to know. Gas station stories. I need to know about the convenience food sector. It's a very small (laughs) sliver of this world that I don't know anything about. So I want that story. And thank you so much to Drew Anderson for taking the time to come over and Thanks, buddy. record this yeah, episode. Thanks. A lot of fun. Oh yeah. Bye. Bye. Made a mess. <laughs> <laughs>